on. Hi, everybody. I'm Walden Hughes. And hello, Larry. How are you doing? I'm good. And it's, we're pre-recording this, everybody. So, you know, the, the, the day must be interesting when we got Patricia to come on early. Hello, Patricia. How are you doing? Hello, Walden. We have, our, I mean, special is underlined here. We have a special guest, Kelly Stewart, who is Jimmy Stewart's daughter. Um, Kelly, I forgot to ask, did he go by Jimmy Stewart in, in his personal life, or was that just accepted all over the place? Was, or did uh, he, he prefer James? I think all his friends and everybody called him Jimmy. Sometimes some okay. people called him Jim, but people didn't very often call him James. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's a help. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> well, Kelly is with us to talk about her dad, and um, gosh, there's so much to talk about. He was such a wonderful person, and we miss him terribly. I guess you do, too. Oh, yeah. Kelly, could, could you tell us about yourself and your background, your work? Um, your family, so that we have an idea of who you are. Okay. Um, I, let's see, I left home really after uh, graduating from high school in L.A., and I went to Stanford as an anthropo- got an anthropology degree at Stanford, and I had become interested in wildlife and in evolution and fossils because my parents took us to Africa when we were young on a safari, and my mother got interested in animal behavior and all of that. Anyway, um, I really wanted to go and study gorillas because I had read about them in National Geographic. And so I wrote to Diane Fossey while I was in college and said, can I come and be a research assistant or a gopher or anything? And she said yes. So when I graduated from college in 1973, I went to Rwanda to Diane Fossey's study site and to study gorillas, and that really set the course of my life. And I got a degree in zoology from Cambridge University in England, and I married an Englishman, and we split our time between England and Africa until we came back to California in 1989 to join the Department of Anthropology at the University of California in Davis. And we've been here ever since. Wow. <laughs> I just, I, you can't see my mouth dropping here, but that is quite a background. Um, do you still have an opportunity to visit with the gorillas? We haven't been back to Rwanda since 1988, but I am hoping okay. we will go uh, in September to see them. Uh-huh. I certainly keep in, I certainly keep uh, keep abreast of what's going on there, and you know I still give give the occasional lecture on conservation yeah. and uh, you know gorilla socioecology and all that. So oh my goodness, um, oh still my involved goodness. Can I come to that your, level. Can I come to your house to play? Oh, you, you just I hit some of my hot buttons here. This is wonderful. This is wonderful. Um, Kelly, you, you have said in your emails to Walden that you have so many stories about your father. Do you have a favorite one that is most memorable? And you can choose more than one, but we are really eager to hear some of them. 
Well, you're right. There are a lot. And um, some of them are just images of dad that kind of sum up an important part of his character. For instance, there's one that really stands out in my mind that was relatively recent. It was about 1988, and he was being honored, I believe it was by the Museum of the Moving Image in New York, and he was Mm -hmm. um, being, being honored at an evening there. And so I flew from England, and my sister was there, and mom and dad was there, and it was a very long and eventful evening, wonderful evening. Um... But we were ready to go home, back to the hotel again. It was, <laughs> it was nearing midnight. And oh my. so they kind of, all the main guests were going out the front, and they kind of hustled our family out a back door so that we could get back to the hotel. And it was absolutely pouring with rain outside. But out the back door, there were still a fairly large group of diehard fans who were waiting there to get Dad to sign an autograph, to sign a program. And Mom and Judy and I hustled into the car, and Dad stood there in the rain. Somebody had a, held a, holding an umbrella over his head, signing autographs. Wow. So, you know, it was almost midnight. My gosh. Okay, you answered a couple of my questions, as you can clearly <laughs> You know, I mean, he had... He had such respect for his public, and he knew he they had made him, and he I never saw him turn down somebody who asked for an autograph. Wow, and he was so a that really man that, that, then. yeah, that image stands out in my mind, so that really displays his character, um how he felt about people, how he empathized with people. This is really great. Um, this is the way we, I say we, I do, and I think I'm not alone, have registered him in our brains that he is this kind of a person. And it's so nice to hear that we were right. We were yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, that really says so much about him and also about his relationship with his public and, and his career, you know, how he mm-hmm. ran his career. Mm-hmm. At, at home, what he... Was he quiet? What was his demeanor at home when when you guys were growing up? He was quiet. He was he was very private, and he I mean he wasn't boisterous, you know, running around. And but he was, um, you know, he was also very interested in things we were doing. He's never hands-on dad, you know. He didn't help us with our homework and stuff, but he always <laughs> showed an interest in projects we were doing and. Um, and every, you know, he would every so often while we were sitting around the library before dinner or at a meal, he would tell a funny story and it was always really funny. And, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd string it out and make it really long. (laughs) Um, but you know, a lot of the time, most of the time, in fact, he was pretty quiet and private. How about his friends and whether or not you were able to meet some of these people? Uh, oh, yes, I did. Over the years, I met um, I met a lot of sort of glitterati. You know, Mom and Dad didn't give a lot of parties. At their, they mm-hmm. went out a lot. But they didn't give a lot of – they really relished their home as a sanctuary. 
Um, okay. You know, every so often they would have a cocktail party with people over, and every even more rarely they would give a big party with a marquee in the back garden for oh for an anniversary or for something uh-huh. really special, and then you know, then you know all the glitterati would be there, and we. In, when we were older, say in college, and we got to go to the parties, we could meet them. I mean, Johnny Carson and Greg Peck and Bob Hope and the Reagans and Henry Fond, you know, all those people. Mm-hmm. Um, all the old time, they were there, but they weren't. You know, mom and dad, okay. really close friends, tended not yeah. to be big celebrities. They were in the business, but they weren't. I have, a, I have a request from one of our listeners in advance because we have been promoting you, <laughs> telling people <laughs> we were going to have the opportunity to talk with Kelly Stewart. And I got an email yesterday from one of our listeners who is extremely fond of and respectful of Robert Taylor. And he wanted to know if you had ever met him. I don't remember meeting Robert Taylor. I'm afraid. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it, it, it is some, someone who was very special to him, and he asked me specifically if I would ask you if Robert Taylor huh. was someone uh, in oh, the I'm, milieu. I'm sorry or, I haven't. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't think he'll be disappointed. He just wanted to make sure I asked you and he didn't miss something. <laughs> That's really <laughs> cute. What was his favorite movie? Any work that he was most proud of instead of well, you know, not just Well, I think the work he was I think the work he was most proud of was It's a Wonderful Life. Uh-huh. I mean, and I would you know, when I would ask mm-hmm. sorry, when I would no, ask go ahead. what his favorite movie of, he was, wouldn't immediately say It's a Wonderful Life. He had to, you know, every so often he'd say, oh, I'm not sure, I don't have a favorite. But when he did answer, it was usually It's a Wonderful Life. And I think he was very proud of his performance in that. Well, we certainly were. And, um... You know, it plays every Christmas, of course, and we have yeah. the um, yeah. Uh, Walden, you have the radio recording. Yeah, many of many of them, and I always I always cry. Um, I get sort of emotional because I think so many of us relate to your dad's portrayal of George. I think he is the the common man element touch. I think we all, we, mm-hmm. at least I do. I I I I will cry over it, even. The radio performance, you know? Oh, I do. Every time I see it, it drives me nuts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh. I'm crying again. How many times? Have I, seen I, know. It? I know. I know. You know, what What happens so often is after casting and um, a project is completed, it just doesn't quite click because the lead person or the star of a show just didn't come in the way they expected. There is no other person who could have played George in in no. a wonderful life. There is no, no other person who could have done that. I don't think so, no. And no. I think it was a, a really important film for Dad because it was the first one he made after the war. Oh, okay. Would you talk about that? I I didn't have that in my notes. How did that affect family? How did that affect him? Um because he was really active in there. He was he was out there doing. Yeah. And you know, I'm I'm not sure that he that he was sure he was going to 
get back into movie making when he returned. He was changed and the world was changed, you know, and he he wasn't totally completely positive what he was going to do. And this was, this was a wonderful vehicle for him to get back into the movies with. Mm -hmm. Tell me what breakfast was like in your house. Tell you, tell you what? Tell me what breakfast was like in your house. Breakfast? Um, Breakfast was, you know, neither mom and dad were big eaters, to say the least, especially not dad. And we'd always eat in the breakfast room where we ate all our meals except special events like Christmas or Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And I think mom and dad, what they liked most about breakfast is that they liked to give the golden retrievers little uh, treats from their plate. (laughs) So dad... Dad would be sitting there with this tiny bowl of, of, uh, or what were they called? Special K flakes. And oh my gosh, another special K. Special K, yep. And there'd be golden retriever at his elbow. And then when Dad finished his flakes, he would put the bowl on the ground, and the dog <laughs> would lap up the sugary milk. And Mom, in the meantime, would be given the other golden retriever little bits of bacon from her plate. I think what they really liked was the chance to give the dogs little treats. So so that was their breakfast. Was that a a pleasant time for you, or was it a quiet time? Because some parents are saying, you know, we're eating, and let's wait until after. Well, breakfast was, everybody was kind of um, waking up. Judy and I, my sister and I would be, you know, getting ready for school, but if it was when we were in college and we were home visiting, some people would read. Dad would read the trade papers. Mom would read the newspapers, and we'd be drinking coffee. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of conversation. People were just kind of waking up. Mm-hmm. Well, so we it was pretty quiet. You know, we didn't have <laughs> long, elaborate breakfasts at all. Yeah, yeah. Did you have a traditional dinner time? Did did was there a rule of the house that everybody needs to be at dinner at a certain table or certain time of the day? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We had lunch at a certain time and dinner at a certain time, and it did not vary. It was, um, I think dinner was seven and lunch was one. Let me ask you That's a question. About... <laughs> what? Let me ask you a question about... Your sister, uh, as we have, we've done several interviews with people, and we found out that you were fraternal twins, and the co-host who works with Walden and me on Friday is my twin brother, and we're about maybe four years younger than you are, and I'm wondering what it was like to for you, because I'm fascinated by twins because I happen to be one. Uh, I'm wondering what it was like for you to be uh, to grow up as a twin. Uh, it was great. Judy and I were uh, sort of a unit. We were we kind of got each other's backs, watched mm-hmm. each other's backs, and we were sort of a team. We were very different, and so we didn't, you know, kind of like niche separation in, in nature. You know, we didn't compete because we kind of had our own separate personalities mm-hmm. from very early on. Mm-hmm. So we weren't okay. – I mean, of course there's, there was competition. There always is with siblings and with twins, but – we really, um, we were really a team. I always felt like that, and we were, we were, 
never apart until we went to college. And the, the first year in college, actually, all years in college for me, and I think for Judy too, it's it really hard to get used to not being with each other. It's, it's had fun. never been apart. It's funny because, and we never had, we never experienced what stereotypically twins go through. They're generally they have the fa- same first initial and their first name. They're generally they dress alike. We never did any of that stuff. And I thought it was always strange when I heard about twins who did, and we never competed with each other. We get along. We found out quickly that it hurts when twins fight each other and punch each other because they have the, about the same amount of strength. So exactly. we, ver- <laughs> we maybe verbally spoke, but we didn't physically fight. <laughs> well, we, we dressed alike for a long time. Did you? Yeah, I think my parents were starting to get a little worried. <laughs> <laughs> that you had two really distinct personalities and interests and you still wound up dressing alike. Was that okay with you? Yeah, I mean, we were, you know, we became more and more different as time went on. I think our our personalities diverged as we got older, you know, when we, you know, got to be teenagers and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But, um... We're we're identical, and I am the oldest. I'm three minutes older, and we were two and a half months premature, and he was one pound eight, and I was one pound ten ounces. But we wow. have our own. Yeah, we were we were small. We were lucky, thirteen inches long. When when my wife and I were dating, she would describe how little we were to uh, her nieces, and she said they were about the size of a macho burrito. So <laughs> yeah, we we yeah. were really small. But you know, we we began eventually to to develop our own identities and I'm a lot more overt as people have said uh John can be but he's quieter and I'm wondering if you guys had the same kinds of tendencies in terms of being overt versus not so much no we were both no. pretty out there uh-huh. um we you know we didn't look at all alike I just right. Judy and right. I don't even look like sisters really we sound exactly like we have the same gestures but we don't look at all alike mm-hmm. um we we were both overt in different ways. I mean, I was, you know, much more studious and got good grades, and she had all the boyfriends. <laughs> there was differences like that, but we had the very very much the same friends in school. Were you guys in the same so class? We were you guys in the same classes? We were in the same class. Yeah, mm-hmm. we were in the same class, and we um, we had the same best friends. And then mom and dad <laughs> sent us to school in Switzerland for share. a year when we. Yeah, everything. We went to school in Switzerland for a year when we were 15. Uh-huh. And um, I think mom thought we needed some polish. Maybe probably <laughs> she hoped that we would stop dressing alike. <laughs> and um, the school put us in separate rooms. We were in the same chalet, but we were in separate rooms. And that was the first mm-hmm. time that we hadn't slept in the same room. Huh. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. When you got to boyfriends when you were teenagers, I guess it was teenagers, how did your dad feel about boys with his girls, and how did he react to them? You know, he he didn't say much about them, but, it, you know, when they came in to the house to pick us up for a date, mm-hmm. well, my sister and I didn't always double date. So we, we did, we had a separate life there. Um, you know, Dad would sort of like to meet them and shake their hand. And if they had a weak handshake 
if they didn't look them in the eye or if they came in barefoot, we knew about it. Uh-huh. So he disapproved of of guys that didn't show respect. That is really interesting and refreshing that a father would take that yeah. kind of time and interest. My gosh. That, but that they really never is. said I don't but that he never said I don't like him, you're not allowed to go out with him again. They just made yeah. their feel he he and mom too made their feelings known. I like that. I like that. What was your mom person what was your mom personality like? Was she more outgoing than your dad? What, what, how would you describe your mom? Oh, she was she was more social than dad. She was more outgoing. She was um uh, very vivacious and and extremely funny and she was um you know certain especially in the later years she was the one that kept him going out and kept him being social um and after mom died dad became pretty much a hermit wow. so mom was the mom was the outgoing one mhm but they both had this wonderful shared humor and they both had incredible respect for each other that's that really was to me the kind of hallmarks of their relationship yeah when we one of us would do excuse me go ahead sorry i'm talking too much <laughs> gosh i'm sorry i have a propensity for tripping over people on the phone um we understood that from his outside personality but we can never, of course, unless we talk with someone like you, understand or have insight into the private lives. And missing her terribly was one of the areas that we were very well aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was hard. That was hard. Yeah. When you were but, growing you know, up... Of, um, go ahead. I, I was just going to say that when uh, one of us would do something wrong like if we got a really bad uh comportment report from school because we oh, my wow. sister and I could be disruptive <laughs> um the worst punishment that could be dealt to us was for mom to say to us you've made your father very disappointed um. and dad would then come to say to us how could you do this to your mother? So that's how they punished us. <laughs> so they were on the same track with each other, and that was a double punishment for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I guess that kept you a little bit <laughs> more aware of what you did because Dad knew everybody. <laughs> I understand that. Tell me about your time with him and your mom. When you were growing up, did you get any additional attention from him because you were twins and, of course, the youngest of the four of you? Um, did you get any different treatment or tell me about your time with him when you were young? Um, did we get any different treatment from our older brothers? Yes, uh, because they were, I guess they were a fair number of years older than you, is that correct? Yeah, they were four and five years older. Five okay, six, so that's, that's a pretty significant time frame when you're talking about a 10-year-old kid 
and a 15-year-old teenager, that's a really big difference. I wondered if there was a, a different approach to girls as there were to the boys. Well, my brothers always said that you know, mom and dad kind of practiced on them, cut their teeth on them, <laughs> and they said they were, they were actually more liberal with us when we were, say, teenagers. They kind wow. of learned learned what what kids will do with with Mike and Ron, uh-huh. and um, so Mike Mike says that you know he sometimes was surprised at how um, how relaxed they were with us, relatively permissive. Yeah, yeah, and I I understand the the part about learning from raising those two and I mean this is almost a second family for them having you and your sister join the family five years later I mean that, that's a different family they had two boys and then and then had a family with two girls you know dad was a bachelor till he was 41 40, oh my. 41 uh-huh. and then suddenly two years later he had four kids because <laughs> mom, mom came with two, and then uh-huh. they had twins. Oh my! How did your mom and dad? You know how your mom and dad met? Yes, it was a blind date arranged by um, Gary Cooper's wife. Oh. oh my! We're waiting, Rocky. What else? Yeah. Was your name Rocky Cooper, I think? Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they met on a blind date, got married, and had kids. <laughs> we have to, we're really curious sort of. about I this mean, they, one. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, That's I about think the story? Uh, Cooper knew both of them and thought that they would both um, get along. Uh-huh. And mom was divorced, and dad wasn't married and very eligible. So they got together. That is a very sweet story. Yeah. Blind dates never work out. <laughs> and mom, and, and for, for a long time, the only thing they did together was dad would pick her up and they would go play golf. Okay. And then finally mom said, you know, I eat too. <laughs> so he took her out to a meal. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. So what kind of background did he have? Where did he grow up and did he have siblings? Oh, yeah, he um, he had two sisters. He grew up in Indiana, Pennsylvania, a tiny little town in western mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. His mother was very, very artistic and played the piano. Um, his sisters were both artistic. And so I think Dad got – the artistic side of Dad comes from his mother. His father was a very strict. Presbyterian, but an upstanding pillar in the community. Mm-hmm. And, and I am very good friends with Dad's sister's kids, my cousins. And they're Got all it. incredibly artistic, very artistic. It's interesting. Mm. And how about your mom? Did your mom have it? Did your mom have brothers or sisters? Yes, she had a brother and a sister, an older sister and an older brother. Mm. And they both died quite a bit before mom did. Wow. Mm. 
What's your memory okay. of the, what's your memory of the neighborhood you grew up in? What's some of the memories of that? Yeah. Yeah, they were are they I mean, I go back there a lot and drive around the old block. Um it was you know, I have memories of taking the dogs for a walk, walking around the block and it wasn't a very lively neighborhood in terms of people being out on the streets. It was pretty staid. Mm-hmm. You know, it was kind of Beverly Hills, very leafy, very pretty, big houses, um, not a lot of activity unless you got down into town, mm-hmm. which we didn't very much because when we were little and growing up, we weren't allowed to go anywhere except around the block. Um, but we used to ride our bikes around and skateboard and um Every so often, Jack Jack Benny and Lucille Ball live right across the street. So every so often, they would come over. Um, but the rest of the time, it was a very quiet, peaceful place. Not a lot going on. I, and that's actually still the case. And I was just going to say that it sounds like it matched what your father enjoyed, the quietness and don't bother me type thing. Um, I mean, uh, just having uh, Jack Benny and Lucille Ball across the street, what kind of activity did they have um, in in terms of people coming up the street and looking at houses? You know how people are. Um, did that disrupt your neighborhood? You know, what the, the, the only obvious thing, different about our neighborhood was the tour buses that went by uh, okay. the, the 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 sightseeing um visiting you know the the star house you could mm-hmm. find maps of the maps of the stars houses and everybody would get on the bus and you would hear the announcer coming by saying and then here is jimmy stork's house that and those oh. would go by every so often oh, um, my gosh. which was it wasn't I didn't find it intrusive. I think the buses got bigger and bigger, and then the really big ones were banned. So they're, they got <laughs> smaller after that. I mean, they I were these that. giant kind of greyhound things. Yeah. Uh, but that, yeah. That, was the, that was the only, uh, you know, trick or treat, all the kids would be out on the streets. Uh-huh. That's interesting. Tell me about your time with, if there was time with, Joan Benny and Lucille's two kids, um, Lucy and Ricky. Tell me about your time with them. I didn't. I didn't know them. Really? I mean, mom and dad no. weren't that. Mom and dad weren't really close friends. They didn't hang out together with Jack mm-hmm. Benny and Lucille Ball. You know, they all respected each other and everything, and, and had fun and you know, liked each other. She and mom and dad would go on the Jack, they did about three Jack Benny shows, which are just hilarious. Mom and dad were on them <laughs> together. If you could course, ever get hold of them, they're just hilarious. Yeah, but Joan would have been I, 15 years older than you, too, so you would not have crossed paths, really. But I don't even remember being in their house, yeah. in their houses. It's really so interesting it's having like, such a – were there any other I'll, – I'll call them celebrities. Were there any other celebrities in that closed neighborhood? There were. Um, there was Peter Falk a little bit up the street. And then um, – I got married to 
not Liza Minnelli. Um, Liza Minnelli's father. Vincent? Yes, yeah, yeah. 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 He was not far away. I've heard I'm a sure sh- there were in- others that I didn't know about. We, you know, we didn't grow up when I was really little. I didn't know Dad was famous till I was six. And <laughs> or seven. I wondered about that. You know, we didn't really grow. We didn't feel like we were growing up in a star-studded place at all. Mm-hmm. You know, Holly. You know, Hollywood and the whole celebrity thing really didn't come into our house and our home. And that includes the neighborhood for me. Excellent. Excellent. Did did your parents socialize with any of the others who were in the industry? They did. I mean, they, I as I said, they're really, they're really close friends that they saw a lot. Were, they weren't huge, big-name celebrities, but they were in the field. Their closest friend... One of them was Connie Wald, who was married to Jerry Wald, the producer. And mm-hmm. she she had almost salons. She was the most wonderful woman. She gave lovely parties that were elegant, really relaxed and, and cozy. And I met tons of people there because she knew everybody. She would always include us kids. When mom and dad went over to dinner, she would give birthday parties for mom and dad. Um we became, us kids became good friends of hers. And she was really good friends with Audrey Hepburn, as were mom and dad. So whenever they went over to Connie's house, there were there was somebody, you know, Hank Fonda or Audrey Hepburn, who were some of the others. She was really good friends with Michael Crichton. She knew everybody. It was just fascinating to go over to her house. And That's then really other very close friends was... Uh, let's see, Bill Fry, he was a producer, and Bill Fry, Jim Morton, Lenny Gersh, who was a playwright and a songwriter. Songwriter. Those were the people that they hung out with and the people that came over for Christmas dinner, on Thanksgiving dinner. Ah, okay. Now, and Mark, Irene Dunn. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I, I stepped on you again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I keep I keep thinking of things. No, Irene Dunn was just another name that I oh, remember. Yeah. And yeah. I remember when I was really little, Ros- Rosalind Russell was a very good friend. My goodness. Yeah. My goodness. You mentioned a few minutes ago that you was aware of your dad being famous when you were six years old. What, is there a story behind that? Or that they could gradually put that together at age six? No, I think I actually it was the I had turned seven by then. It was in the summer. Maybe I was still six. And we, mom and dad used to have a ranch in um, Nevada. And there was the Akron, Ohio Soapbox Derby, which was a big event yep. that was, it raised money for Boy Scouts. And Boy Scouts came from all over the country with their soapboxes and they had a race. And dad was in a special celebrity race to help raise money with Roy Rogers was in the other car. I think they gave dad a car shape like an, like an airplane and Roy Rogers had a horse and there was another guy. I don't know who it was. It was another cowboy. And so there were these parades down the streets of Akron, Ohio in the buildup to the big day, to the race. And 
me and my siblings and mom and dad would be in the car in this convertible sitting up on the back and waving. And the crowds would be there were thousands and thousands of people. And the policemen had to link arms and, and form human chains to keep the people back. And they were all reaching out their arms yelling, Jimmy, Jimmy. And everywhere you went, you walked through forests of arms reaching out holding pieces of paper for an autograph and I was thinking how do all these people know dad's name <laughs> and that's when it that's when I realized he was famous what happened to your perception of him when you learned how famous he was and how many people knew who he was oh it made me incredibly proud I was just so proud to be his daughter. Yeah. Were you ever able to spend time with him in the studio or studios? We went to them. We visited him on set very rarely. I can remember twice, maybe three times. Not very often at all. What do you remember about them? Well, I think the first time was when he was making How the West Was One. Um. And it looks so boring to make a movie because, you know, they're like a few minutes and then everything stops. Mm -hmm. And then somebody comes up and pats your face and puts more powder on your nose and adjusts the lights and it looked like a huge drag. And it's what made me never want to become an actress because you were just inside all the time with lights on you and people fussing around you. And you hardly ever get to finish a sentence before the guy says, cut. (laughs) anyway judy and i were much more excited about meeting little joe from the set of bonanza which was filming nearby than we we were watching dad film the scene oh my goodness so (laughs) you really did wind up with some entertainment after all (laughs) and then i i I remember seeing him film a scene from uh the man who shot liberty balance oh who, who did that, Walden? Oh, gosh. Liberty yeah. Balance was Lee Marvin. Yeah. But who was the director? Oh. Oh, was it, was it Ford? I think it, I think it was John. I yeah. Think so. I think it was John Ford. Anyway, that was a good Western. Yes. Were you surprised after having seen some of these movies being made with the finished product? Well, I didn't see enough of them being made. I was surprised when I saw how they were made to think, how does this ever turn into a film? Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it's, and when I saw Dad filming a scene, acting on film became the most mysterious thing in the world to me and still is. I don't see how anybody does it. I understand how people can act on the stage but to act in a movie I don't see how people do it it's just a mystery that's really interesting you don't have a live um, audience with a movie but you do on the stage yeah and you also break up you break up scenes you you break up the flow of the moment you do a take over and over and you still have to sound upset or happy or whatever it is sure 
over and mm-hmm. over. And nobody runs out to powder your nose. I mean, it's it's just I don't see how somebody maintains an emotional um, energy with that many yeah. interruptions and retakes and all that, which doesn't happen on stage. Oh, my goodness. Well, then you had some questions I, about and um, go ahead. Sure. Well, I want I, I want to see if this is a true story, Kelly. I understand that your dad enjoyed working outside and with his dogs. Eventually, he bought the next door in order to let the dog have more of a, like a dog run. It, it, is that a true story? He, it wasn't just for the dogs. It was for, <laughs> Mom planted this huge vegetable garden there. But he did buy the house next door uh-huh. and tore it down. It was, it was actually pretty run down. And he tore it down, and they just expanded the size of their garden and put in a vegetable garden and had lovely trees that looked like a park. That's really nice. It was, These yeah, really it, it are. was so. What? I was going to say these really are down-home, private-type things that everyone and um, I say everyone, almost everyone, can be able to um, identify with it. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, the thing about mom and dad, and, by the way, they're really good friends, was that there was no, they were so unpretentious. They were so unarrogant. They didn't like pretension and show off and, they didn't like bullies, you know. They were they were just so respectful of people's feelings, mm-hmm. and it was this this lack of pretension was really special, uh, I think, with them and with the circle of friends. And mm-hmm. and it was very easy to become friends with their friends, even though there was a big age difference. Yeah. What was Christmas time like for in your household? Oh, Christmas was great. Um, we would, my sister and I would sneak down before anybody was up and get the stockings, which had been put up the night before and filled. And then we'd go back up to bed and open our, look at our stockings. And this carried on until we left for college. In fact, even after we came back from college for Christmas. We would still get our stocking. And then we'd go and have the normal breakfast, and then we'd all open our presents under the tree. The tree had been decorated by Dad. He would go down and buy the tree before Christmas, put it on top of the car, bring it back. We'd decorate it. Mom would hang pieces of tinsel. It used to be, you know, that tinsel that you would have to... Yep. You would save it every year. Yep. You would take each yeah. strand down and save it. And then, and, and it was a big deal going down into the basement and bringing back all the Christmas tree ornaments. So we, Dad would get these ornaments that fans would make him, Christmas decorations that fans would send him. And they'd all go on the tree and all the Christmas decorations would be up. It was really great. It was very festive. And then Mom and Dad would have a Christmas dinner with friends that night. Who filled the stockings, Kelly? Mom, probably. 
<laughs> I have not. I have not done this all the way through our interview. We're having such a good time with you. We are talking with Kelly Stewart, Jimmy Stewart's daughter, and these are all the um, memories and events that Kelly is sharing with us. So I apologize for not hopping on that right away. Was there a famous Christmas gift you got or a birthday gift you got that you were hoping for and you finally got it? Anything come to mind? do I remember? I I remember one present that was huge, as our president would say, um, and it was when we were in high school. I think we were about 16. And my sister and I unwrapped this box, and it was a, a little toy telephone. And the present was our own phone line in our, in our room, oh. which was a big deal. Which, yeah. I mean, really, was a present was a present to mom and dad, so they didn't have to. Every time they picked up the phone, one of us would be talking to our friends. So they gave <laughs> us our own phone line. So that was that's, really cool. That's really nice. Not every parent would do that, especially in the time frame that you're talking about. That was that was a big deal. It was. It was really nice. Yeah. So. Well, then you wanted to know about family vacations, yep. and we're right up to actually about ten minutes ago before we let, minutes. yeah, but before we let Kelly go. What about you mentioned the I think earlier your trip to Africa? Any other family vacation inside the United States? Anything? Anything come to mind? Well, we would go. Um, by the way, family vacations were a great time. It's because my brothers were away at school a lot. It was a time when we were all together. And it was always really fun. We all had lots of laughs together. We would go at Christmas very often to um, Aspen and first to Aspen, then to Sun Valley to ski. Those were always really fun times. Not that Dad liked skiing, but he liked <laughs> that we liked it. And they had friends there. And then um, Mom and Dad had a ranch in Nevada when I was very young, and then they sold that, and they bought a much smaller place in San Inez Valley, you know, near yep. Santa Barbara. Yep. Yep. That was, that was a place that we would drive to. Sometimes dad would fly his little super cub there. Uh, every break, every uh, spring break and go there Christmas. And that was like a heaven for my sister and I. It was, just we get there and we go riding and dad would go riding and it was really fun. It was just wonderful. So I loved those times away when we did stuff we didn't usually do at home, you know, like riding. Uh-huh. That was I am just loving that you had what I would consider on the outside a very normal childhood and life with your with your family. I mean both your mother and your father and your siblings. I mean, this is about as normal as you can get what you're describing, whatever normal yeah, it is. Was, it was normal. I mean, we didn't, you know, it was it was very, looking back, it was very cushy and, and privileged. And, you know, there was a cook, and, but we always had to make our bed, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I didn't. That's really interesting. I felt normal. I, I felt normal. You felt, oh boy, that's really important, yeah. yes. <laughs> and that was something that had to be cultivated from the inside. We've all heard stories from the outside about 
I'll call them Hollywood kids, who just didn't quite make it. You know, they they had an attitude about them that made them less likely to make friends. Yeah, and I think part of that is that this sort of if your parents act entitled, then you act entitled. And my parents uh-huh. always acted the opposite of entitled. And if you don't yeah. grow up feeling entitled, you're not crushed by disappointment. <laughs> That's really interesting. I have one more question, and then the guys probably have more questions. Your your dad had a dog named Blue. I'm sorry, no, Bo, Bo. not Blue. Um, a dog named Bo. And he was apparently exceptionally close to that dog. Would you talk about that? Well, Bo was one of a series of golden retrievers that mom and dad had. There were always Mm -hmm. dogs at home, and they were very important to mom and dad. And they usually had two together. Um, But the first golden retriever they ever got was Simba. And then as he got older, they got a a puppy called Bo, and he was a golden retriever too. So he was the second golden retriever, and he was there when my sister and I were, I can't remember when he arrived, but we were pretty young. And he was there all through um, college, I think. Anyway, he was one of a kind. He had a big personality, and he could actually be quite unreliable. (laughs) We were all nipped by Bo. I'm not sure Dad ever was, but you could kind of tell from the back of his head when he was going to go for you. Uh-oh. <laughs> and, um, you, know, you know, Fred McMurray's wife, he bit her right in the nose. She was kind of <gasps> bending down. Yeah, she was, she was bending down making kind of baby talk, and Dad was just about to say, I wouldn't get too close, but he spoke too slowly, and Bo bit her right in the nose. <laughs> and everything came out we'd okay? go swimming when my sister and I were swimming Bo would take a run from the, all across the lawn and leap off the edge of the pool and land right on top of us and then climb onto our backs and make a swim with him to the edge of the pool oh he my just God. did this crazy stuff he was crazy but dad really liked him partly because he was such a maverick you know, and he had such a personality. So I think, um, you know, Bo's death was particularly hard on Dad, as you yeah. can tell from the poem. Yes, yes. The poems for for our gang out there, the name of the poem is I'll Never Forget a Dog Named Bo. And when I went out making sure that I got the correct title, I discovered that it is all over the internet. It was it it touched people so much that they took the time and wanted people to hear it, or or at least read it. So for our gang out there, if you'd like to read, I'll never forget a dog named Bo. It's out there for you to read, and I yeah, like I think, that. I think we also have an audio copy of it from. I think your dad was on the Tonight Show. I believe that's yep. correct. But we've got and, audio. Oh, yeah. I think we also have, when your dad did the audio book of some of his poem, we have it right. from his reading from that, too. Mm-hmm. Larry, any... In the, in, the tonight, mm-hmm. in the Tonight Show, you can see Johnny Carson wiping away from tears at the end of the poem. I know. Yeah. Yes. And, and your dad, too. 
I managed to come across that one. And that was the first time he presented it to any kind of an audience. And, of course, you know, it was a television audience as well as a studio audience. And he was he was very he, – he was emotional about it, and Johnny Carson was too. And that was the first time yeah. he did that. So, you know, it, it was a very touching moment. He got a lot of um, letters from the public over the years about that poem. Oh, my God. About how it had helped them get through the death of a wife or a husband, not just dogs. Wow. Yeah. Wow. How pleased he must have been with that. Yeah. Larry? Yeah, you know, he, mm-hmm. when, when he first wrote that poem, he read it to us, and we were in a hotel room in Nairobi, and I had just come. I was in Rwanda, and I'd come to join Mom and Dad, and he sat us all down in the hotel room and read this poem. And I was so infuriated that he would be plucking our heartstrings like that and making us all cry. I stormed out of the room. (laughs) Oh, Oh, my gosh. My mom couldn't stay. My poor sister was the only one who stuck it out to the bitter end. (laughs) It was really that an emotional... level of emotion for all of you isn't that interesting that you could listen to this and and really tap into what he was talking about yeah yeah his dog named Bo. well i'm at the end of my questions guys what have you got oh larry go ahead you got one and i'll 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 save the last actually i don't have a question i have i just have a comment and i don't know if you've touched on this at all but Fortunately, a lot of his radio work exists, and when you listen to a lot of his radio work, which was mostly done before you were born, but there were a couple of examples of shows that were done in the mid-50s or so, he came off obviously sounding very natural, very believable. It wasn't something that was contrived. It, it's just the way he read, uh, and I wondered if you ever got that that thought process when you when you watched him work through television or movies or listen to a radio show. It just sounds so natural and so believable. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I think that was kind of a key to his performances. And I had never heard his radio broadcast until I listened to the six shooter, which we found after dad died in some cupboard behind the couch. We found all the cassettes of the whole series that's just absolutely wonderful and dad is is, dad reads it in the most wonderful way i mean he was fabulous on the radio yeah and nothing was hurried it was just a conversation that was he was having with you even if you were sitting in a chair across the room from him yeah but he was also so he just come he can convey so much while speaking so naturally and casually. You know, this this character he plays on the six shooter, Britt Ponsett, this cowboy, he's cool and kind and just not to be messed with. And that just all comes across in this they have wonderful phrasing or I don't know what, mm-hmm. what it is, but it's just quite it- amazing how he can convey that. Yeah, and it you know the show wasn't an action-packed show. There wasn't you were never going to find necessarily people who got shot dead, but there was always a story to tell. And yeah, it was always so much fun listening to him 
tell the story because it was as if he were telling it to you across a back fence. Yeah. It still is fun yeah. listening to it. Yeah. It was fun. Kelly, I said this what that was my last question and it isn't. <laughs> he had such a distinctive way of talking. He had the um it wasn't a stutter, but he had those little spaces in between his words. Is that the way he talked at home? Was that natural? Yep. That's how he talked. I the spaces it. between I his words it. got longer and longer, too, as he got older. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody minded. We just loved waiting for the, what was going to come out next. That's cute. I really like that. I really like that. Walden, you said you had one final Well, question. I'm looking at the time. Kelly, first of all, I want to thank you on behalf of the three of us for giving us an hour of your time. You... You're very kind to do that, and yeah, and I that's what I just wanted to let you know. So, hopefully, we can do it again sometime because I I know the audience would love to hear some more thoughts. But from my heart, well, thank you for doing this. Thank I, I, you very much. I really enjoyed it, and thank you all so much for your interest. And yeah, you know, I've had a really good time. Thank you, I'm Kelly. I'm so glad. I'm I'm looking at the clock here, and I'm saying, "Oops, we overstepped here." <laughs> but I'm I'm just so glad you spent this amount of time with us, Kelly. And it, it's a joy to hear you talk about your dad. Thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. It's been wonderful. Terrific. Thank you, Kelly. Enjoy your dinner party. Have a great time, Kelly. Thank you. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. That was Kelly Stewart, Jimmy Stewart's daughter, and she shared some of her memories and stories about him, and I just love it. Okay, we're good. Yep, we're good. Oh, my gosh. Oh, she just dropped off. Yep. I just wanted to make sure. Great. Boy, that was wonderful. That was a great one hour. She was... She got so much in there. You know, sometimes we sit with people and say... Well, what next? Uh, well, I was <laughs> looking. I, story, I, I was, she was great. I was looking at the question. I said, "There's no way she's gonna get all this in," but I think she she combined them. I think she was able to said, "Okay, this is what they want to cover," and she got it all in. Uh-huh. So that's right. Yeah, and she knit them together beautifully. Yeah. Um, well, I had a good time. I am too. I, I'm glad. I'm glad she said yes. So. Uh, we're going to have a good special. Probably, I bet it's going to wind up being a two-parter. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, much stuff Maybe. we've been saving. From her and the museum and the Reinhardt's and everything else we've been putting away. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I do hope she's got time for us down the line. You bet. Because we have to hear about Easter. <laughs> <laughs> After oh. Dusty comes back, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. So, and Larry, you were great with the twin questions. I, you know, I'm not a twin, obviously, and I don't have any in my family that I know of, anyway. And, um, you know, I I heard, oh, gang, ganger lopper, ganger lopper. That's the word. It's a German word for people who are not related but look so much like each other, they're confused with each other. If people mm-hmm. meet one and come across the other, you know, and I had that happen one time um, where it, it was in the hospital of all places, and this poor man 
called me by a different name, and I said, no, my name is Patricia. And um, he said, no, it's not. And he was so convinced that it was a woman who lived in a nearby town, not very far, you know, maybe 10 miles away. And, um, you know, it made me wonder what, what went on in my family because he, I had to bring a supervisor up and help him understand that I really wasn't the person he knew. Um, and, and he was just confused beyond belief. So, anyhow, that's my story. All right, cool. We'll we'll make sure that this worked. Mine did. So now all we have to do is uh, put it together. There's a lot of stuff to put together. Where did everybody go? An hour. Yeah, it was about. It was pretty close to an hour. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just a couple of minutes off, and we had a couple of minutes before. Walden started and you started recording. Yeah. yeah. So I guess I guess in terms of interview, we really were close to the mark, but pretty close. She spent, yeah, she spent about an hour with us short a couple of minutes. So so that was really good. Thank you for inviting me to join you. You're welcome. It was really fun. I gotta go. Yeah, I got a break to get to. Okay. And I, well, I even let even work interrupted twice, and I got done with it quickly. Ah, you sneaked it in there. I didn't even know you were gone. When Walden disappears, I know when he's gone. But I haven't developed that skill with you yet. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I was listening, but I, but I had I was doing some typing and answering questions and things like that. Yeah. No, luckily, and, no and phone calls. Never would have known. Never, I did not know and never would have. So you did great. I don't know if you heard me about the twin question that I, I really enjoyed and appreciated that you came. Oh, good. Good. And it, it was fun. And uh, you answered my question that she is a fraternal twin. Twin. Quinn. When I went out on the internet and I found pages and pages of pictures when the girls were young and a little bit older, and I could not tell at that point because, you know, of course, in a photo, when one turns ahead and the other one doesn't, that kind of stuff, it was impossible for me to know whether or not they were fraternal or identical. So, thank you. Oh, they still looked alike? <laughs> Yeah, I, I would guess so. And it, it didn't help me that all of the pictures that I saw had them dressed identically. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. you put that on a child and uh, I don't know. I don't know. Wow. So I, I am going to hop off your phone so you guys can do what you need to do. Oh, I just got to get go finished. I got a break to do and then I got to get back and finish work. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, so am I. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a client calling in in a little bit, too. So, okay, I will talk to you later. Okay, thanks, Patricia. Thank you. Okay. Bye, Walden. See, he's gone. I don't know where he is. I don't know where he is. And he he's calls. Out. I mean, he's around. Hello? He called. Hello? Oh, there you are. Oh, there you are. I, 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 I turned my microphone down. That's, that's why. Good grief. That was stupid. Oh, I, I thought you were out. swirling around the refrigerator. No. Oh, thank nah, you. Wouldn't do that. Nah. Thank you, Patricia. I'll let nah. you take care of your client. 
And oh, thank you. And Larry, you I'll talk to you soon. Good evening. All right, guys. Okay. Yeah, you still have some time to catch up with me. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Jaws Professional, Patricia from FL Home, Larry Gassman, Kelly Hark, Windows M, Desktop S, CK6S, Sound Forge, Enter. User account Y, Sound.